Today we are celebrating Father's Day, and uh, I, I heard a guy tell a story about Father's Day. He said, Father's Day is the only time that my children are completely obedient to me. He said, it is the day that I tell my children, don't get me anything for Father's Day, and they don't. Uh, so that is, uh, that is a, great, a great thing about Father's Day. So uh, dads, you have a lot, of, uh, a lot of great things to look forward to today. Hope it's going to be some alone time, maybe get to watch some golf, eat a lot. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm just curious, how many of you are here and your dads are here? How many, how many of y'all have dads that are here? Isn't that good? All right, well, good. Uh, I would like to say that I have no, um, at least, let's see, I might have one, one child here. My other two are disobedient and they're out of the will. Uh, so I have one kid here. But today, I'm still going to talk about Father's Day. And so in Father's Day, what we're going to do is we are going to talk about God's, I really believe that it's God's intent and God's plan for dads. Now, I know that typically whenever uh, pastors talk about Father's Day, because you know, I'm one of them, uh, one thing that we like to do on Father's Day is we like to drop the hammer on dads on Father's Day. And so if you're a dad and you're like, you know, I know what they do, this is what they do every year, I want to encourage you. I hope that you will uh, be able to relax a little bit. Today's not going to be one of those days. Uh, we're not going to be dropping the hammer on you. We're going we're to celebrate you guys. But really, more and most importantly, we're just going to look into Scripture and see what God desires out of dads. Because I believe this. I believe that, that when God created men and he created women, he created us for very different roles. Now, we're a team whenever we come together in marriage, but we have different, different functions and different things that we are supposed to achieve in that relationship and in the family. And so today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to be looking in 1 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first four verses. And so if you have a Bible and you would like to turn there, and you might not know where it is, if you go all the way to the front of your Bible and uh, turn right about uh, three-quarters of an inch, depending on the size of print you have, uh, you're going to run into 1 Kings. And in 1 Kings, we're going to be talking about or seeing a guy that you're very familiar with. His name's David. And so we're going to be looking at King David, and at this point in King David's life, he is coming to really the end of his life. Uh, back in chapter 1, verse number 1, it says, Now King David was old and getting on in years, and although they covered him with bedclothes, he could not get warm. Uh, so basically he is bedridden at this time, he's getting ready to die, and pretty much the thought process of the people who were living at this time, whenever a king is getting ready to die, what, what do you think is running through the minds of most people? Who's going to be next? You know, who's going to be the next king? Well, David had a lot of children. Now, David's marital life uh, is not really one that you want to emulate. If you read a lot about David, you'll see that David got in a lot of trouble with women. And so, he ended up having a lot of different children, and one of those sons that he had, his name was Adonijah, and Adonijah, when he found out David was dying, he said, I'm going to take over. I'm going to be the next king, and this is what we're told in chapter 1, verse number 5. It says, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, kept exalting himself, saying, I will be king. In other words, the next king. It says, he prepared chariots, cavalry, and 50 men to run ahead of him. 
But his father had never once reprimanded him by saying, why do you act this way? And it says, in addition, he was quite handsome, and he was born after Absalom, which is another son of David. And then it says he conspired with Joab, and it talks about the people that were for Adonijah being king, and then another group of guys that were not for Adonijah being king. Now, all those things are intriguing. You know, it's like gossip magazine stuff. But the fact of the matter is, there's only one person whose opinion mattered on who's going to be the next king. And it was the king. And King David already knew who that next king was going to be, and it was going to be his son, Solomon. And so as David is getting ready to die, he calls in his son, Solomon, and he gives him basically a good father-son talk. And from this discussion that they have, I really believe that we can see as dads some of the things, some of the requirements that we need to fulfill so that we will be the kind of biblical father that God desires for us to be. So you might say, well, what, what is a requirement of a dad? You know, what exactly is it? If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, what are some of the requirements that God has laid upon men so they can be the kind of fathers that God wants them to be? Well, that's what we're going to look at today in our scripture. And here's the very first thing I see. A first requirement of a father is to instruct. If we're going to be good dads, if you have children, you're going to be a good dad, one of the callings that you have as a dad is to instruct your children. And so I'd like for you to look with me. If you go back to verse, uh, chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, as the, time approach, <clears throat> excuse me, as the time approached for David to die, he instructed his son Solomon. Very basic a very basic requirement of a dad, a very basic job requirement of a dad is to instruct his kids. You know, whenever, whenever a kid is growing up, he needs someone who loves him, who cares for him, to point out for him the path that they ought to walk on, to help him learn how to make decisions in life, and not, not just any decisions, but good decisions. Now, you can look at this and you can say, well, I mean, David's older. Solomon is, is also a little bit older. Why is he doing this now? Well, because Solomon was going to be the next king. And David had a desire for his son to be successful. He wanted to instruct his son to give him directions. And that's what the word instruct means. It means to direct. And he wanted to direct his son to help him know some of the decisions that he can make, how he should make decisions so that he could be a good shepherd for the people of Israel. He wanted his son to be a success. And so that is what's happening. If you look in verse 1 again, it says, So David instructed his son, and he's instructing him how to live. Now my question was, well, where did David learn how to live? Where, where did David get instruction for his life? Well, well, obviously, David had a father as well. And his, his dad gave him instruction. He taught him things. But another way that David learned was just simply through life experience. I mean, he just lived life, and he did some good things in his life, and he was able, he'd be able to talk to his son and say, Hey, listen, these are some of the things that I did where I was blessed and it worked, but here's some other stuff over here 
that I did, and it was bad, and it didn't work. And so basically it'd be like, son, this is a good path right here. This path over here, don't do that. Now, if you are a parent, if you're a father or a mother, and you have children, you know that oftentimes when you give instruction to your children like that, it's not always well-received. I know this from personal experience because I, I used to, or I still am, but I was, I was a son. I am a son. I had parents that would tell me what to do. Um, probably the person who does the greatest job of telling me what, not just me, but everybody what to do, would be my mother. And so mom's back there, and she can, she can tell you what to do. And I can tell you as a kid growing up, and she will just go ahead, and I know she wants to stand up and start confessing, but we're not that kind of church, so don't do it. Uh, but you know, she can tell you that she would tell me what to do, and I'm sure it was good instruction, but I just ignore it. Because I was thinking, hey, you know, she's from a different era. This is a new world today. I know how to make decisions. She's, she doesn't know how the world works. And so out of just a spirit of arrogance, I would just say, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so, listen, I'll figure it out. Now, that sounds good, but here's what I learned. And if any of y'all on the front couple rows, if you do this, there will be a day when you're going to have children. I did not know that. And so now I have children. And I look at them, now I understand mom and dad a little bit better. I'm like, hey, uh, I'll be trying to give, in, I'll give instruction to our children. I'll say, hey, this is the good path. This is the bad path. And they don't listen to me sometimes. And it drives me nuts. And I, it's not because I think I'm better. Kids, it's not because your parents think they're better than you. It's just that your, your parents have lived longer than you have. And the stupid stuff that you're thinking about doing, they did it. And so what they're saying is, we've already done this. And I promise you, it doesn't lead anywhere that's good. As a matter of fact, it is a big-time mistake. And so I, I, look at, I look at David, and I think David is trying to instruct his son. He wants to give him direction in how to live because there are sometimes when you can make choices and it's going to create baggage in your life. And whenever you're carrying around baggage, it weighs you down and it can destroy you. And so, fathers, our job is to help our children not to have that baggage. You know, last month, I, I read an article that I thought was interesting. There was, there was a plane crash that happened in Russia. And you might remember it was coming down on the uh, runway, and there was, just a, there was a fire on board. It was, it, 41 people lost their lives. But here's what I found interesting about that plane crash. It was in USA Today, and the article said this. It said, reports from people on the plane indicate that evacuation may have been slowed by passengers grabbing their bags before they exited the plane. Uh, the AFA said, we will never know if more lives could have been saved if those bags had been left behind. Fathers, that, that's our job. To help our children to make decisions, to instruct them in wise, in wise living because if we don't, they're going to get some baggage in their lives. And if they are carrying it with them, it can destroy them. And that is the job of a father. And we need to be teaching our children, you know, there is some stuff that's worth carrying, but there's other stuff that you need to let go of. So, so what should we carry? Well, the Bible points that out. Fathers, this is how we're to instruct our children. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 7, it says, Listen, Israel. 
the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You want to know how to instruct your children? Right there. That's how you instruct your children. You teach your children about the things of God. You allow your children to see you praying for them. You allow your children to see you reading what God's Word has to say. You allow your children see you leading them into the church because you want them to know that we are coming in order to honor and to worship God. So what's the requirement of a father? It's to, it's to instruct. And here's another requirement of a father that, I mean, it seems to be, it's, it's a no-brainer, but today sometimes there might be some questions about this. Another requirement of a father, very simply, is to be a man. God has called fathers to be men. You might say, well, I mean, obviously fathers are men. Um, there seems to be some question about that today, but, but what does that mean exactly? Well, I want you to look with me in, in verse number 2. David said for this, he said, as for me, he said, I am going the way of all the earth. I'm getting ready to die. And so he said to his son, he said, be strong and brave. Now, the Old Testament, most of the Old Testament is written in the Hebrew language. And if you look at the actual translation, when he tells his son, be strong and brave, the actual translation is this, be strong and show yourself a man. That's what it means. Be strong and show yourself a man. Now, in my translation, it says show yourself brave. Now, I know that there's, there's some negative connotations that come today with saying, hey, just be a man. And there's some bad things that can come out of that, and people, they might not like that, say, hey, we're supposed to all be the same. Now, I don't believe we're all the same. I believe that there are some differences between men and women uh, but we have this thing today, though, whenever you talk about men, we oftentimes we throw around the, the words that I hear a lot on the news and stuff, this thing called toxic masculinity. Now, have you all heard of that before? Are you all awake? Have you all heard of that? Okay, well, I have. And uh, so if you haven't heard of it, I, you're doing good because that means you're not watching television or reading the paper. But there's this thing called toxic masculinity, and it's where this idea that if you're a masculine then it is something that is very negative, that is something that, that, that pushes people down, and it's really just sort of like a, a, like a competition. A man's trying to rise up and, and squash women. Okay, now, listen, anybody can be a jerk, and I understand that. I, I'm, not saying that I'm not saying that all men are perfect. I have a daughter. I told my daughter, she's getting older. You know, she's, she's going to college next year, and I was like, listen, I want you to know every boy is a dirtbag. Okay, so that's what, I say to my, that's what I say to my daughter, right? So guys, you know what I'm talking about. So, but when we talk about toxic masculinity, I, I know anybody can be a jerk. I can be a jerk. I mean, you can ask my wife. I'm really good at doing that. But when I look in our scripture, I see that the text says, David says, son, you need to be a man. And then I look and say, well, what's, what's he talking about that? I really, I see this all throughout scripture. One of the responsibilities of men, the responsibility of a father is to be a leader. It is to lead his family. He says, so rise up and be a man. Now, he's not saying rise up and be a man as opposed to a woman. That's not what David means. 
His meaning here is rise up and be a man as opposed to a boy. There's a big difference. There's there's a big difference between boys and men. Now, boys are are hilarious. When they're little kids, they do this crazy stuff. And they're just, and they're 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 fun to be around. Uh, I remember when my my middle son Glenn. I mean, there and this is no lie. He loves he loved the outside. And Emily and I were went into his bedroom to tuck him in, and we were pulling the sheet up, and he had frogs all in the bed. But he sound asleep. Had frogs all around him. He said, Boys are weird, but they're funny. Uh, I had a, a friend of mine sent me a video of his son. He used to he used to go to church here, and they moved to Augusta. And he sent a video of his little boy. And they went to a baseball game, the Green Jackets game. So they're down there, and he just videoed his son. You know, there's like a hill by the side of the stadium. He said, this is my son, Banks. This is what he did for 90% of the game. And he's just rolling down the hill. Roll down the hill, get up, run up, and roll down the hill. And so that he just he didn't get to watch the game. Okay, now I looked at that, and I started, I started laughing when I saw that video. Now, it was funny. But if it was a 45-year-old man, would that be funny? I mean, it would not be funny. So there, there is something that is different between being a boy and being a man. So, so King David was talking to his son and said, listen, it is time for you to be a man. No longer be a boy. He said, but as a man, he goes, you have decisions to make. There, there is a time for you to be serious and a time for you to lead. You're getting ready to become king. And we we saw back in chapter 1, he had a brother that was going to claim the throne for himself. So David knew that there was going to be conflict. He said, you're going to have to handle this maturely. You're going to have to make decisions. He knew that Solomon was going to be the one who was going to build that great temple that was in Jerusalem. You have to prepare for that. You have to be a man and make decisions. You know, boys are are fun to be around, but, but you don't call on boys to look out for your finances. You don't call on boys to build temples. You call on men. Men who will take the things of God seriously. And so that was the challenge that David was giving to his son. He knew his son was going to have to lead. He's going to have to establish a government to keep his people on the right way. Fathers, that's our calling. Calling is to be men, to lead. And whenever we see our children on a path that they don't need to be on, it is our job to go talk to them, to confront them and say, you are on the wrong path, you need to come over here. Now, I'm not saying that you, you can force them to do that, but you need to lead and point it out. Now, I, I don't like to do that. I, I, like, I want my kids to like me. You know, I want, I want to be popular with my children. But here's the thing, God has not called us to be friends with our kids. He's called for us to be fathers. He's called us to be men. And sometimes that means standing up and putting a stake in the ground and saying, I will stand here and I will fight for what is right. An example of this to me is in the 1800s, the Cheyenne Indians had had six warrior societies. And I just, I found this intriguing. One of the warrior societies they had is called the Dog Soldiers. Have y'all ever heard of them? Um, You probably haven't. I I just, uh, I have. And so the dog soldiers, what they do is they would they, they rode horses and they would have these um, like I'll just try to explain it in a simple way. They have these spears with a with a pointy end at the bottom and then a tether, and they would when they'd get off their horse they would stake it in the ground and their horse would be tethered to it so that he could graze without running off. But when they went into battle, 
this is where the dog soldier was different. Instead of tethering his horse, he would tether himself to that stake. And he'd put it in the ground, and it was a sign saying, I will not leave, but I will stay and fight until I'm either killed or until we win. Dads, that's you. If you were to place your stake in the ground for your family and say, I'm going to lead in the right way, I'm going to stand up for the things of God. I'm going to fight for my family until I die or until there's victory. David was calling his son to be strong, to be a man. But to do that, it takes courage. That's why he said, be courageous, be brave, be a man. Stand firm on the things of God. And sometimes you might find yourself, men, not being very popular if you decide that you're going to stand on the things of God. That's where you, like a dog soldier, are to plant your stake in the ground. In Joshua 1.6, it says, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Now, now what kind of requirement? What does, what does it mean to be a godly dad? You know, what, what, what requirements are there of me? If I'm a follower of Jesus, are there, what are the requirements for me? It is to instruct your family. It is to be a man, to be a leader. But this one might be the most important one, and it is to be obedient to God. Those other two things aren't going to matter unless this last one comes into play. It is obedience to God and what he says. Look in verse number 3. This is what David told Solomon. He said, Keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, commandments, judgments, and testimonies. And this is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. And so that the Lord will carry out his promise that he made to me. If your sons are careful to walk faithfully before me with their whole mind and heart, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So David's talking to Solomon. He said, Solomon, here's the deal. You keep your obligation to the Lord. Now, that word obligation or to keep, Uh, It means to give careful attention to. Give careful attention to your obligation to the Lord. Now, now what was his obligation to? It says to the law of Moses and to the things of God, to the word of God. Keep your eye on God's word. Allow it to direct your path. Now, you say, well, how how, how am I supposed to know what this book says? Real simple. Read it. Spend time in it. I don't understand everything. It's okay. Spend more and more time in this book, you become more and more familiar with what it says. And as you spend time here, you begin to recognize that which is right and that which is false. God's Word is a great tool that God has given to you and me. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture, it is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, the Bible tells us that God's word will make us complete. Now, here's the word complete is interesting. The word complete, it means to fully furnish. That's what God's word does, will do in your life. It will fully furnish you. Now, ladies, I think you would like that. You know, as you're getting your house ready, if you buy a new house, you're, you're not going to be satisfied until it is fully furnished. And when it's fully furnished, you can relax. Okay, God's Word 
when you take it in and bring it into your life, it will fully furnish your life. How's that play out? When decisions come your way that are difficult, God will fully furnish you to make the decisions you need to make. When you are facing conflict and obstacles, God's word will fully furnish you, equip you to be able to deal with those obstacles. And you say, well, what happens if I live according to God's word? Well, I, I just take what God's word says here. I mean, I look back in the verses that I just read, and in verse number three at the very end, it says, so you do these things so that you will have success in everything you do. Now, dads, does that maybe motivate you a little bit? If I follow God and his leadership, I will have success in everything I do. Now, does that mean I'm going to become a millionaire? I'm going to get the new car I want. Is that what, it's not, that's not what it's referring to. You will have success because you will be in alignment and in fellowship with God. There is nothing better than that. Being in communion with God. Uh, I, I can share with you some experiences I've had. When I walk with God, here's the blessings I've received. Contentment. Just know that, I, that I'm doing what God has called me to do. Whenever it is tough, when it's been tough in our lives, but I knew that I was doing what God had called us to do, I was content. Even though it felt like everything's falling apart around us. It's like, but this is what God wants us to do. That means that I'm trusting that God's good. If he's fully furnishing my life, that means that as I am fearful in this life, I am fully furnished because God has given a promise that he will never leave me nor forsake me. He has promised me that I don't have to live under the burden of guilt anymore because I've experienced his forgiveness in my life. Another thing that the Lord produces in your life is he'll make you fruitful in the way you live. Uh, Jesus said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now when you abide in Jesus, what that means, it means you live for him. You live according to his word. And he says, if you do that, then there's things that will be produced in your life that people will be able to see. Well, like what? Well, Galatians 5.22 tells us what the fruits of the Spirit are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, do you have those things in your life? Because that's what God brings into your life. You know, I, I thought about, you know, if, I, if I'm not walking with God, and those times in my life when I have walked with God, I've wondered this. I've wondered, I wonder how much destruction God has spared me from because I listened to him. And I think that's going to be interesting to see whenever we go to be with the Lord. Now, I just want, I want to close with this. There are blessings that come with obeying and walking with God. And so my encouragement to you, dads, obey God. Walk with Him. Trust Him. Because it's going to be worth it. And you're going to leave a legacy for your children to watch. Live according to His Word. Follow Him in every way. Experience His blessing. But to do that... Be strong and be a man. Now, God has given us some requirements that come with being a father. You instruct your children. Be a man. Lead them. 
And then finally, be obedient to God. So in saying all that, it's a simple question you don't have to answer out loud. How are you doing? You know, how, how are you doing in these areas in your life? I have some work to do. But I have a good guide. I look at David. David was a guy who in so many ways his life was a wreck. And yet God restored him. You might sit there and think, you know, my life is a wreck. I'll tell you something, God can restore David, a murderer, an adulterer. I mean, just a guy who did some real questionable stuff. And yet God redeemed him. I promise you he can redeem you. So the way I'd like to close the service today is we're going to have the band. They're going to be making their way up here. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes. And just some of you as fathers, you might just simply say, Lord, I, I see some instruction that you've given in your word today. Lord, I pray that you'll help me to be the man that I need to be for my family to be the father that you've called me to be. Lord, I'll seek, I will seek you by reading your word. And I'll put myself under your word, your leadership. We need more and more men, guys, to me, to pray this. Because we are in a world, we are living in a world that needs men to rise up to make good choices, good decisions based off not feeling but upon the word of God. And I believe it's then that we're going to see the change that so many of us are desperate for. Lord, I pray that you will speak into the hearts of our fathers today. God, I thank you for them. I thank you for the, the great privilege that you've given us to be fathers. God, I pray that we will be godly fathers. Lord, I pray that we will see our children taking note of the fact that we love Jesus. And may that impact their lives like nothing else. Lord, I pray for special blessings upon each and every family here today. And I pray these things in Christ's name.